hey, we're live, and the microphone works, and everything else. Welcome, everyone. It is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat here on MMAfighting.com on this uh, Wednesday, August 24th, 2016. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, today on the podcast, we will get to, of course, UFC 202 results. A lot to unpack there. Um, a great, great uh, event, great main event. Really one of the better ones I've ever seen. Um, but, you know, not necessarily the best, but certainly in that conversation. Just a lot to get to. The train rolls on. UFC on Fox 21 is this weekend. Looking forward to that. I think uh, Bellator 160 is on Friday. And uh, there's a whole lot more. There's a whole lot more with John Jones and Nate Diaz and vaping and the whole nine yards. So we'll get to all of that. Uh, appreciate you guys joining me today. Thank you so much. And um, I also want to say thank you as well. Just some housekeeping notes. You guys know my home was burglarized on uh, Sunday. I meant to have the Monday morning analyst out, but they got away. They ganked my laptop as well as my wife's laptop as well as my Xbox and a few other things as well. So that could have been a lot worse. Uh, my, one of my animals was missing, but I recovered him, so that was that was great. Some of you noted that in a previous live chat, I was complaining that it sounded like someone was walking on my roof. Um, they may have been. I don't know, but I wasn't robbed up here. I was robbed on my main floor. They got into a side window that I usually like lift up to let my cat sit on the, like, the, not the, the windowsill. I had closed it and put the child locks up and didn't lock the window. And uh, a guy had come by earlier that day, like, obviously casing the joint, like, knocked on the door and was like, hey, is Alicia here? Like, And I know what uh, – that's happened before. Like, I know what that is. They're casing the joint. So I told him, like, get off the property. And he did. I kind of followed him out and made eye contact with him, like, I see you, you know. Uh, and I'm not I'm – not you know, I'm not a small presence at the door, but, like, I hadn't walked my dogs all day. And stupidly, I walked them, like, an hour and a half later. And they got me. They got me. But a lot of you guys sent a kind note, and I appreciate it. So I don't know if it was the guys walking on the roof. I don't even know who it was the guys walking on the roof. Maybe it was squirrels or something, but they got through one of my side windows. But ADT came yesterday and installed a bunch of stuff. Uh, so hopefully we should be good. And now the windows are locked. I'm an idiot. What can you do? Uh, okay. With that out of the way, a couple of housekeeping, other, other housekeeping notes. Um, i trying to think. There was something else. Uh, that's probably it. Okay. So... Normally what we do is comments that turn green, but not, um, my image is not showing up, just default. I'm not sure what to say. Or that. I don't know. I'm going to keep going. Um, I don't know what's up with the image. Let me see here. Apparently there's an image problem with this. Let's see. Let's see if we can figure this out. I apologize for any kind of technical errors. I don't know what's happening exactly. Um, let's see. Oh, no, it works. Okay. I don't know what's happening. All right. Um, okay. Now I'm good. Now I'm good. All right. Sorry about that. So um, before we go to the first comment, let's actually react to some of the breaking news. So my colleague, Ariel Hawani, has reported that... Um, Ori McDonald is either close to or like, you know, just about to sign with Bellator MMA. We just put this article up if you haven't seen it. Um, here's what it says. Very short article. One of the best welterweights in the world is headed to Bellator. Ori McDonald is close to finalizing a new fight contract with Bellator MMA fighting has learned. McDonald's management team was informed Tuesday night by the UFC that they were not able to match the terms of a contract offered by Bellator. While McDonald has yet to put pen to paper, that is a formality at this point, sources say. So much so that UFC has already removed him from their official welterweight 
with welterweight rankings. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that Ariel has also confirmed that you know UFC is just not going to be matching their offer. So, um, and further, I think Flow Combat has reported that it's already done. So you get the idea. One way or another, Rory McDonald is headed to Bellator MMA. This is kind of interesting, you know. Um, so, like, what do we say about that? Well, first of all, we're just reacting in the immediate, which means. Um, this might be subject to revision at some point, um, or, you know, um, we have to be careful what this sort of means in a longer term context, but in, in terms of immediate reactions, I guess we can say is this is, uh, you know, certainly a very big signing for Bellator, right? This is a guy that, um, I saw some people on Twitter being like, well, Benson was a bigger signing because he was a previous champion. That's true. But all of the guys they have got, and, you know, what do you want to say poached from UFC have all been, guys who have gone up not necessarily on the way down but sort of tasted maybe the the, the highlight of their career um maybe rory mcdonald is that way too but at only 26 27 years old there's at least reason to believe that um he has some better days ahead of him i actually think uh, i can understand why if you're a rory mcdonald fan and you want to see him get back on the horse at uh, in the ufc why you'd be upset with this i think that's an entirely normal reaction but i would really caution against that number one um he didn't sign with bellator and bounced around organizations like this at a much more advanced age and uh, you know looks like he's going to end his career with a UFC title fight like this is not goodbye for Rory McDonald from the UFC forever it could be that but it also could just be a very temporary thing and then he goes back um, you know we'll see how that plays out but this is not a definitive signing away for life is the first thing I would say I think the second thing I would say is I kind of feel like a reset was needed in his career um, he dropped two in a row in his last two fights and they were tough losses against tough guys, um, but but given his age and his ability to reset and you know beat some guys without taking a lot of punishment and work on his craft and de develop physically still a little bit more and I don't know just get the kind of money he's looking for and reprioritize his life as a father. I feel like if you were going to hit the reset button, this is a great time to do it. He didn't look bad against. Um, Wonderboy Thompson, but it looked like, you know, again, uninspired is not the right word, but just it just wasn't a proper reflection of who he is. And a lot of that, of course, is credit to Wonderboy Thompson. But I guess I just mean, if you're going to say I need to change in my career, this seems to me like a like a really good natural moment to make a lateral move, uh, if you can call it that. But um, I just feel like going to Bellator, he's going to get a chance to be a big fish in a small pond. He's going to get a chance to get, you know, his shoulders massaged a little bit more. Obviously, probably some more money as well if UFC is not matching it. Um, there'll be some competitive fights for him, which we'll get to in just a second. But this is a chance to maybe not take a beating and beat some other guys uh, in the process. And I think that can be healthy, both in terms of the attention he'll be getting in his bank account, both the attention he'll be getting from the promotion, as well as, um, the ability to go through these fight camps, continue to improve as a martial artist without these incredibly draining, difficult experiences. Um, I think it's really needed. You know, that Robbie Lawler fight was 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 rough on him, and understandably so. I I I feel like this could really be not merely a smart career move, but maybe a healthy thing for him to do. And so, in that sense, I I am not all that upset about it. Now, there's a question about who he's going to fight. That is an interesting one, right? So the obvious one would be you could put maybe Benson Henderson back up there, who's the champion, Koreshkov. That's a great fight. Um, let's look at Bellator's welterweight roster. Obviously, um, now you got Michael Van Page. I don't know. They previously trained together, but I don't feel like that is going to be a reason to, you know, um, not make a fight. 
But in any case, let's do all fighters. Let's do welterweight. So here's what they have at welterweight. Now, a lot of these names are not going to be great. Let's just admit that up front. But here's what we have. Rudy Bears, Guillerme Bomba, Cyborg Santos, Paul Daly, Joey Davis, Kevin Ferguson Jr., uh, Andre Fialo, Fernando Gonzalez, Benson Henderson, Chris Honeycutt, Andre Koreshkov, Josh Koscheck. Not a ton of amazing names. Now, that's who they have right now. Um, they can sign more as it goes along. Um, you never know who might come up the ranks. So currently, if you're asking, well, what are the big money fights that they could make for him? There aren't a lot, which leads me to conclude that he could potentially go to middleweight. Who do they have at middleweight? This is reading the roster. Excuse me. <laughs> Pardon me. Rafael Corvallo, Dan Kramer, Francisco France, Neiman Gracie. Uh, they have Hoist Gracie, technically. Doug Marshall, Melvin Manhoff, Asaki Kato, AJ Matthews, Joe Pacheco, and Benji Raddick. Uh, this is a bit uh, not updated as well. But you get the idea. There's, there's going to be some difficult moments ahead. So, like, when we ask, you know, how big of a signing is this? On the one hand, getting a guy this early in his, to his career – um, is quite a significant moment. On the other hand, there is an open question, quite fairly, about who it is that this guy is going to fight in a way that would really make a difference. And I also think it's sort of important to note, like one of the arguments I made about Rory McDonald was that he, this is a great moment for a pivot in his career, something new, something to refresh him financially, uh, mentally, and even physically. This is a, ref a, moment, a moment to rejuvenate um, in a way. That tells you that he was coming off of a fairly difficult career time. Again, didn't look bad against uh, Robbie Lawler and certainly did not look bad against Wonderboy Thompson, but did not look amazing either, certainly in that last fight. He'd had his moments, obviously, against Robbie Lawler. In other words, this would be very different if he had beaten Robbie Lawler and defended his title against Wonderboy Thompson. Um, that would be a very significant moment. Or if he had lost to um, Robbie Lawler in the way he did, but then rebounded big time against Wonderboy Thompson, right? So he's coming off of a moment where the, the significance of the signing is big in terms of who he is in the aggregate sense, but they got him at a fairly down moment in his career. And so I think that should temper a little bit of what we say about the significance of this signing. Um, so is it big? Yes. Uh, is it uh, obviously a great moment for Bellator? Sure. Um, if you're a Rory McDonald fan, you might have mixed emotions because you're happy that he'll be getting some more money, but maybe a little bit worried about who he's going to fight. Who he's going to fight is an open question in terms of you know how many guys can he really beat that people will care about, how many big fights are really even that competitive. That should temper it. And also what should temper it is that this came at a moment where he was a little bit on a skid, um, uh, an understand understandable skid. He wasn't fighting bums by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just a really bit of an open question about who he can face and... Um, you know, where he was in his career when they got him. So so that's the basic take on, on Rory McDonald. It is a big signing, um, but I think that um, it's a great signing for them. There's no doubt about it, but let's be, let's use some managed expectations here and, let's some, and put some limits on the overwhelming significance of this uh, for the present moment. And like I mentioned before, he may end up just going back to UFC when it's all said and done. Um, may just use this as a temporary respite for what has been a very tumultuous time in his life and his career. Okay, with that out of the way, let us get to... Let's see. Let's get to the first question. If we can. All right. Here we go.
imagine this will be McGregor related. I'd be wrong though. It is. There we go. How did I know? Connor ranked fourth pound for pound. Too high, too low, just right. I don't know. I haven't looked at those pound for pound rankings in so long. Let's see. UFC.com slash rankings, right? I haven't even looked at these. I don't know how justified that is at all. I don't, but I just don't care. Demetrius Johnson, Dominic Cruz, Daniel Cormier, Connor McGregor, Jose Aldo, Eddie Alvarez, Joanny and Jacek. That's a little bit strange. Uh, Miocic, Woodley, Bisping, Lawler, Dos Anjos, Rockle, Diller. Yeah, these are, these rankings are not great. Um, I don't know. It, uh, even if he was fourth, I'm not even sure what that really tells you. Top five pound for pound fighter, m- maybe he is. Um, but it, these are voted on by donks. Uh, hi- highly debatable. And not really reflective of what, if you, if you were to ask me, like, what would make Conor McGregor great? Like, why is he good? Um, I wouldn't point to the fact that he is ranked fourth pound for pound. That that doesn't seem to be very explanatory, right? To have an official top 15 pound for pound is silly, and it's an impossible to rank. That's what this person says. Beside that, who the hell cares who's fourth pound for pound? You want to argue who's one or two? Okay, that makes sense. But who's fourth, seventh, ninth, or fourteenth seems a bit pointless. I would largely, although not entirely, agree with that. Uh, Luke, what if Bellator signs Cerrone and Larkin, and Coker starts this tournament with guys like Koreshkov, Rory, Cerrone, Larkin, Lima, Daly, MVP, and maybe Bendo move up again? That would be must see TV. I just don't see them really getting Cerrone. Larkin, maybe. Larkin, certainly a possibility, and maybe the signing of McDonald will then entice. Um, Larkin, who has been disgruntled a little bit, uh, you know, and by disgruntled, I don't mean angry necessarily, although that would technically fit the definition, but certainly unsatisfied. I think he's been unsatisfied with his tenure in the UFC, not so much his competitive record, and that win over Neil Magny was spectacular. But, um, you know, I saw him at the UFC Fan Expo, and I was like, oh, what booth are you in, or when are you signing autographs? He's like, I'm not doing any of that. I'm just, I bought my own ticket. He bought his own ticket to the Expo and was wandering around. Um I think he feels like I could be more if I would get more of a push. This goes back to that debate about, you know, look, the UFC is pretty good about identifying natural talent that they can groom and push, but they're not perfect at it. No organization is. Some cases are easier to identify than others. And maybe Larkin is overestimating whether he should be pushed or not. But nevertheless, it at least raises the debate about um, how good is the UFC at identifying internally really good fighters who could be more if they were given a bit more. Um, Now, I'm sure they would have a different perspective on that in terms of whether Larkin did enough to warrant being pushed in the way in which he presumes he should be, but you get the idea. Uh, Let's see. Okay. Anthony Pettis needing a win at UFC on Fox. Look, with the fights in Vancouver this weekend, I think the most interesting one might be Anthony Pettis at 145 pounds. I would agree. After three straight losses at lightweight, Pettis desperately needs a win, and Oliveira is a tough opponent to welcome him to that division. Is Anthony Pettis' future contingent on a win this weekend? I mean, if you lose three in a row, then you drop a weight class and you lose another one, that puts you in a very difficult and compromised position, to put it mildly. Is it possible that the UFC cuts Pettis if he is defeated on Saturday? I don't know what they're going to do with him. I doubt it. They didn't cut Dan Hardy. What I think they would do is... In the event that Pettis loses, um, which I don't think is a remote possibility necessarily, unlikely but not remote, um, they would just, I think they would keep him, they would give him a break, and they would give him very winnable fights. They would go almost the Coker route, where, you know, look what happened to Mike Chandler after he dropped, what, three in a row. They gave him fights he could win, you know, and 
I think th- this is what I'm talking about with Rory McDonald, this moment of refreshment and replenishment. I think that's what's going to happen with him. They're going to give him fights he can win, and he's going to go through start knuckling down fools, and, and people are going to be all hyped up about him again. Um, that's what I would imagine would happen. They just don't think they would cut Pettis because if they cut Pettis, then Coker would do that. Coker would give him fights he could win in two different weight classes, um, and I don't think that that's a position they necessarily want to be in, but they might, you know. You never know. Uh, one one last point uh, about um, about Rory, and I'm going to stitch this together for a single video. One last point about this. It is interesting to note that here we are, August of 2016, and in the UFC welterweight division, Rory McDonald's contract was not re-upped, so he is no longer a member. <coughs> CM Punk is also a welterweight and is a member, and certainly comes at a greater cost up front anyway um, in terms of what you pay him to compete. It's kind of a, a uh, it's very it's a very revelatory example of their priority. Now, it would be grossly unfair to say that is an example of their preferences generally. I think we can all agree that whatever your views on CM Punk, this is largely aberrant in terms of the business norms. However, it may be aberrant, but uh, it is nevertheless instructive that whatever your feelings about the sport, and certainly I have my own, and you have yours as well, it is unusual and eyebrow-raising, it should be, that even whatever box office gains that Mr. Uh, Brooks might provide the UFC, it is telling that a fighter of the quality of McDonald is not worth it, even though he might come Again, he won't deliver the same returns financially, but he comes probably at a fraction of the cost that Punk does. Um, that is that is that is a teachable moment right there. Um, did I predict the robbery last week? No, I did not. Again, they got in. This is my upstairs, and I have a main floor, and they got into the main floor. Um, it's hard to explain exactly, but that's where they got in because I employed poor security. That's my fault. By the way, if the camera uh, looks bad, I apologize. There is software on my other laptop that they got that I have to use so I can use my nice camera, and they got that. And I have to get the new nice software when I go to New York. So hopefully by the next live chat, I'll have uh, the good video. Um, I'm not sure how this is going to... Oh, it should be no problem for the Monday morning announcement, which is going to come out on Friday. But um, yeah, it's been a pain in the ass. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Nate Connor two, a few questions about the main event on Saturday. Okay, let's do it. How did you score it? I scored it 48, 47 McGregor. I gave him rounds one, two, and four, and I gave Diaz round three. I did not think round three was 10, eight, and I gave Diaz round five. To me, it looked pretty clear, like 48, 47 to McGregor. I had him winning rounds one, two, and four. There we go. Nate taking rounds three and five. Exactly. And I didn't see any rounds worthy of a 10, eight. Exactly. Especially after rewatching, I don't see any controversy, and I find it a bit strange the amount of people scoring it for Nate. I think you mean 10 8. Okay, fair enough. I can agree with that. So you're asking me, like, why wouldn't I score it 10 um, 8? So let's take, let's take a couple of things. I think we can all agree round one, pretty clearly McGregor's, right? Um, round two, he dropped him twice, but then Diaz began to turn the tables in the second half of that round. So folks were asking me, would that be Diaz's round? Um, I just don't see how you can give it to Diaz. I really don't, right? You get dropped twice in a round, you know, and he did get hurt in the second round, the end of it, McGregor did, but 
here's the interesting part about this fight. Imagine if Diaz was dropped once in the second round and then the rest of the round played out as normal. Would that be a round you give to Diaz? Probably still for me it wouldn't be, but it would certainly make the debate a lot more complicated. But now when you add in the fact that there are two knockdowns in the second round, it just to me closes the book on it. I just don't really see what kind of damage you can observe that Diaz did to McGregor that in any way either equalizes or surpasses what McGregor did to him. I I just I just don't see it. So then you have round three. Now, round three certainly was a very bad round for Conor McGregor, no doubt about it. Um, I think if you wanted to score to 10-8, I wouldn't cry about it. But me personally, I didn't see it. Now, here's the interesting thing. Like, what would I have needed to see for to score to 10-8? So one of the things I had mentioned previously was I don't think this is the only thing I would have needed to see. But, for example, what if Diaz had rocked him with those punches? And they were hurting him. I mean, they were, he, was, he, was, he was in a bad place. But then McGregor took a knee. Right? Would that have done it for you? Maybe. What if he had knocked him down flat on his back and he had to, like, scramble to get back up on things? Would that have done it for you? Maybe. Now, you might also observe, well, gee, Luke, didn't, Rafael dos Anjos loses title to Eddie Alvarez and never really go down. Uh, certainly, certainly that's true. It's not that a knockdown would have done it, and that was the one line in the sand that would have changed the complexion of the scoring for all three judges. I guess what I'm just trying to say is I was looking for something, some kind of threshold to cross, and I just couldn't. I just couldn't find it. I just couldn't find it. Did he get close to that? Sure. Of course, no doubt about it. Again, it was a very bad round for McGregor. But was it so bad that it was so dominant that it was 10-8? I just don't see the evidence for it. you know. And I'm looking. I'm trying to see it. Like, okay, does he show something? Does he do something? Does he, does he give off some kind of signal? Do his eyes roll back in the head? Is there some kind of physical tell or some kind of um, reaction or, or any kind of... Uh, Anything, anything that would tell us that this was heading towards a 10-8 a territory. And I think we got close, but I just don't think it reached it. I really don't. Fourth round, what an incredible moment for Conor McGregor. That fourth round is like, to me, the most important round of his career in many ways, right? Because certainly he lost momentum in the second half of the second round. Still his round, but he lost the momentum heading to the bell. Really bad round for him in that third round, okay? He got out... He got outstruck more in that round than he ever outstruck Diaz in any of the other rounds. Now, not combined, but each individually, yeah? Um, so it was a bad round for him. And then the fourth round, man, that you want to talk about gut check time. Whoa. He came out of that looking to do everything he possibly could. Strong defensive movement. Got a bit of a second wind, as they noted. He was pivoting. He was staying away from Diaz's jab. Um, the best he could was staying off of the fence. He was trying to do a, you know, a decent job neutralizing him as they were fence wrestling. Like That was the most pivotal round maybe of his career because if he had kept going the direction he was going, you dropped two to Nate Diaz after you talked all that smack and you made all those arrangements to say, I could win on these terms. And yeah, you're fighting a bigger guy, but that's the one you asked for, man. You know, um, That would have been very, very bad for him. That would have been very bad for him. And he came out and showed tremendous, tremendous character. Uh, you really got a strong look at him. Like one of the most important things in mixed martial arts is you see a guy come out and he's a hot prospect. I'm like, God, they can do this and they can do that. And they just do all these amazing things. And you just think so highly of them. But the truth of the matter is you just don't really know a guy until they have absolutely been pushed 
um, physically, I guess, and metaphorically with their back against the wall. And then they could begin to answer questions in those contexts. Look, in mixed martial art, it's an, it's, it's an offensive sport, okay? Um, it's easier, in my judgment, to score meaningful offense than it is to be defensively sound. Um, it's why, you know, knockouts are prevalent. And there's obviously, of course, other ways to score uh, offense with jujitsu and, and even wrestling. And you get the idea. Um, for me, uh, how do I say this exactly? McGregor coming out in that fourth round and, you know, uh, just showing the wherewithal to be defensively sound, right? Um, to be, to have his head in the game and to push himself to his physical limits and then to begin to answer questions when his offense isn't doing the trick anymore. That's big, man. That's big. Now, I don't think he walks out of that evaluation with an A plus plus in every category. Um, I think that there are some. I think there are some legitimate questions about to what extent can he really go five rounds with somebody who might wrestle with him better than Nate Diaz. I saw a lot of people saying, you know, he stopped all Nate Diaz's takedowns. Nate Diaz is not a particularly strong takedown threat outside of those trips and maybe some throws off the whizzer. Um, he's not a he's not a double leg guy. Um, now, that isn't to say that McGregor's takedown defense wasn't good. Uh, it certainly got the job done, right? We can all agree. But I think there's still an open question about um, how he might physically hold up under that kind of strain. That's why I think, to me, a, a fight with Edgar is still very interesting, even though Edgar just can't beat Jose Aldo. So, um, so it's not like every question came out like, oh, my God, he's the most amazing at all these things of the game. No, he's certainly very, very good at many, many things. Not that great at some things. But the big revelation for me is that when his back is up against the wall, he answers the call, man. That's not a small and insignificant thing. That was the first time in his life he had been to the fourth round. And that had to be. And he didn't go into the fourth round cruising. He was heading into the fourth round on a bad beat. And he turned it around. That is very commendable. That is very, very commendable. Um, what did you make of the adjustments McGregor made for this fight? Introducing leg kicks, sticking to smarter game plan, improved takedown defense against the cage. His boxing looked much improved after all the sparring with tall southpaws in this game. I thought he looked impressive after a focused fight camp and fight, fighting with a strategy. And while he faded a bit in round three, you know, he faded a lot in round three. I was also impressed with how he found his second win and showed a lot of heart to come out and win that fourth round. Completely agree which was crucial. In hindsight, it looked like he left a little in the gas tank for the championship rounds, which again was smart. Totally agree. But I still think it's an open question of if someone is grinding on him, um, how will he look towards the end? I think that is not, I'm not declaring that he has a weakness there. I am wondering if that is a reasonable line of inquiry to examine looking forward, right? If he faces a guy in a five round fight who can avoid his best punches, not, like, not that Diaz did, I'm just giving you an example, and then can get him against the fence, grind on him with wrestling, maybe get some takedowns, maybe he gets back up, right? But um, if it gets to that fourth round, what does he look like then? I, I, I'm wondering. I'm wondering. I don't know. Um, in terms of the adjustments, the leg kicks was a no-brainer. Uh, we had, I mean, it's how many guys have beaten Diaz that way. This is the, always the interesting part about rematches, and I think one of the credits that McGregor should get I saw some people saying, look, look at the things you mentioned, introducing leg kicks, smarter game plan, improved takedown defense against the cage. Two things I want to mention. Number one, folks are like, why didn't he follow Diaz to the ground? I found this to be a very curious critique of his. That was one of the smarter things that he did in the whole fight. Um, it's just impossible to explain unless you felt it. 
But if you go into somebody's guard, who's a really good guard player, if you get into that, you, you just feel helpless. I don't know how else to explain it. It's not the same as being under mount, right? Because that's this really emergency situation. But when you're in someone's guard and they have a very good guard or the ability to sweep from guard, right? Like they, they're just, they can do things from that position. Like Fabricio Verdum, you couldn't pay me to get into his guard. You just couldn't pay me. If he, if I had him inside control and he shrimp back to guard, I would do everything possible to get away because you just don't know how you might place your hands to distribute distribute your weight or to control his posture. You don't know what what guard pass you might try where you're setting yourself up and you don't even know what's next. And it can get bad for you super quick. It's not like a sometimes these guys, you see these guards where they have this lightning ability to strike and throw up a, a triangle, right? And that's cool, man. Don't get me wrong. That's obviously one of the better things you can do from your guard. But the guys who have the best guards are the guys that slowly break you down and you don't, you can't keep up. It's not exact, it's not slow but it's not speed chess. It's just, you do something. Then you do another. Then you do another. Then you do another. And by that fourth one, you are in a bad place. Now you can't get back to where you want to go. You're just hanging on. It makes no sense to for him to even risk going down there with Nate Diaz. And even if you say, well, he could have gone down there and beat on him and maybe not been subbed, you might well be right. You might totally be right. But just in terms of like assessing the risk versus reward, he was dropping him standing do not go to the ground with him where he has a clear advantage over you maybe not enough of an advantage to make a difference in the end maybe it just winds up being relatively stalemate-ish but you're you're smashing him on the feet so i thought they played that exactly correct and here's the bigger point and i've made this point about max holloway before too go back and look at some of the biggest rivalries in mixed martial arts where they had trilogy fights so let's take liddell versus kotor so in the first fight, Katora just manhandles him wrestling, right? I mean, mounts him, takes him down at will, lifts him, drops him. He crushed him. He crushed him in that fight, okay? It was an easy win for him, basically. And in the second and third fight, he couldn't get a hold of him. He just couldn't do much, and he got, he got, he got smashed, okay? Big punches from Chuck Liddell. But there was a lot of time that separated those fights, especially from the first to the second one. In other words, Liddell had a lot of time, years, in fact, to work on his game, to improve his takedown defense and his sense of timing about which punches he can throw and in which scenarios. McGregor had what? What was the last fight? When was the UFC 196? March? March. All right, so April, June, July, August. Four or five months at most? And he's able to make all those adjustments. Now, some of those were no-brainers, but not all of them. It's pretty incredible, right? So some people have been like, well, he didn't, how many adjustments did he really make? That's not the right question to ask. The right question to ask is, how many adjustments can you possibly make in four months? You can make some strategic adjustments right away. You have these abilities. You didn't use them. Now let's use them this time. But there's a lot of other ones where, I mentioned, I, I, again, I don't think Nate Diaz is the biggest takedown threat against the cage, but I did think that he just showed some real technical smoothness in stopping them. I will give him credit there. And I think in some of the ways in which he talked about which which shots to throw, which distance, and then how to manage that distance after the fact, you know, the, that's hard to do when you're just, when you've got that little amount of adjustment to do it in, that time period. So for me, it's like, how much adjustment can you really make in four months? Very little. But the one who has the more space to adjust might be the one who wins. And I think that's what you saw. Nate Diaz, 
kind of fought like Nate Diaz in the first one and kind of fought like Nate Diaz in the second one. Now, we'll see what happens to him in the third one. But the guy who's got more ground to cover in terms of the available changes is the one who's likely to win. That was Conor McGregor, I suppose, in the end here. Um, but in any case, like, um, I think if you want to say, oh, well, how many adjustments did he – I'm not you, this person asking this question, but if you're watching this and you're saying, well, how many adjustments did he really make? How, that's not the right question, man. How many can you possibly make? And that's why you should have appreciation for people like Max Holloway. Max Holloway doesn't just make changes between fights. That fool makes changes between rounds. That dude makes changes between minutes, okay? An incredible ability to adjust. Adjustment in mixed martial arts, whether it is between trilogy fights, whether it is between fights themselves, whether it is between rounds, or whether it is between minutes, is not an obvious, easy thing to do. And the guys who can do it on narrow timelines, they are special ones. They're special ones. Um, let's see. What's next for both fighters? Personally, I don't want to see a trilogy fight just yet. So maybe it's Aldo or Alvarez next for McGregor. Nate says he's not returning until he fights Connor again, but I suppose he's made so much money that this year he can wait it out. So I think, I think, first of all, this person is notorious PIG. This was a great comment you put. I really want to thank you for that. It's great, smart, uh, observant. We agree on a lot here. Um, so what should be next? I think to your point, Nate Diaz is just going to say, I'm out until whatever. And that's fine, right? You made a bunch of cash took some bad you know beatings in this fight so um no problem with him taking some time off right it seems fine and again he's sort of more of a known developed commodity um in the case of mcgregor it's interesting so what are his options his options are trilogy fight but i don't i think while people want to see that they don't want to see it right away and i'm with them i don't want to see it right away either it's 145 aldo it's 155 alvarez i think there's some other possibilities what if they do a GSP fight? That'd be kind of interesting, right? And while before I didn't take the McGregor Mayweather stuff seriously, I wonder if he might seriously pursue it this time, not with any hopes of it working, but in the hopes of drawing out concessions from the UFC. I wonder if he might even just try it. Um, folks have said uh, that maybe if he, if he can find a way to get a commission to grant him a boxing license, that then he would be entitled to federal protections. Now, that... The UFC, in their clause, claims they can be his sole promoter even for boxing fights, so I'm not sure exactly how that would work. The court would seem to have to adjudicate it. I don't know if he wants to go down that road, but who knows, man? Who knows what he's going to do? So there's a lot of different possibilities. Let me just make one point. I wouldn't mind if he went to 155 and fought Alvarez. I, I really wouldn't care. Uh, I had Eddie Alvarez on my show on Monday. He seemed to think that was not likely to happen, but would welcome the opportunity. Make of that what you will. Um the Aldo one to me is kind of interesting because I can see why a fight with Aldo would not interest him personally, but there has been this accompanying or accompany, accompanying argument um, that there's really nothing left for him at featherweight. I could not possibly disagree more. That is absolutely not true. Apparently, Conor McGregor is the only person in combat of sports history where all you have to do is win the title once and you've done everything possible you can do in a division. No, no, that's not true. It is a very different thing to win a title than it is to maintain it. And maybe it's the case. In fact, it's probably the case, right? That McGregor has Aldo's number in the same way Aldo has Edgar's number. That doesn't mean he has Edgar's number. And that doesn't mean he has necessarily Holloway's number after Holloway has dramatically improved the second time around. 
Uh, and then here's the other point. You know, Mendez is gone. I don't know if Mendez would have ever beaten him anyway, but here's the point about this. Holding on to a division and, and reigning over it is important for two reasons. One, simply as a title holder, you have an obligation to defend the belt against the best chap. Want to be a 145er, I have no problem with that. It is entirely his prerogative, and if it's not healthy for him or if it doesn't interest him, then don't be a 145er. But that's different than saying featherweight is conquered. Featherweight unequivocally is not conquered. Staying in that division and fighting the best challenger each and every time is extraordinarily difficult. And surprises happen all the time. To just presume that he can beat all these guys and therefore there's no reason to fight, that's a reason to never have a fight ever under any oh well, he just the you know, he, he's the favorite over these guys. There's no need for it. What? What are you talking about? Get in there and defend it. Or don't. Don't don't be a 145er. But if you're going to be a 145er and you want to be the champion of that division, you got to get in there and scrap it out, man. That's just how that goes. Um, it is not true that featherweight is conquered. It looks to be conquered, right? You can look and be like, oh, who's really going to beat him? Maybe Holloway can beat him. Maybe he wouldn't. Be, I think it'd be a different fight. We'd all agree the second time around. I don't know that he can beat Edgar. Maybe he can. Maybe, maybe you like his chances a lot. You still got to get in there and go do it. Rematches happen all the time, and you have no idea when the next featherweight contender might come up and emerge as, as, as a threat that no one ever saw coming. This happens frequently. So I'm not begging him to go to 145 because I think he'll lose eventually or something. I don't need him to be anything he doesn't want to be. But I don't buy the idea that some have been like, well, what's really for him at 145? Uh, a whole rack of challenges. He has not conquered 145. You have to beat that division in totality and some of those guys a couple of times before you can say that division has been worked over. And that has not happened. Not even one title defense. Nonsense. Total nonsense. Okay? I think McGregor does against the following. Alvarez. I think he would do very well against Alvarez provided he was able to hurt him and avoid the wrestling. Ferguson. Another interesting one. Ferguson's a tough customer, man. I don't know. Habib. If Habib can't, if Habib can get the takedown, he'd probably be all right. If he can't get the takedown, he'd be in trouble. RDA. I think those guys could split. You know, can RDA beat Connor? Yeah. Can Connor beat RDA? I mean, if Alvarez beat him the way he did, why couldn't Connor do that? Um, they didn't wrestle. I mean, there was that one takedown stop. Okay. Um, maybe two, I think. But you get the idea. Like, if he can stop a couple of takedowns early, there's no reasons why with his power. I mean, I think his power, I think it's fair. Would it, would it not be fair to argue that Conor McGregor's power would translate pretty well to 155? I think there's at least a reason for optimism about it. Uh, Conor chopped Nate down. Luke, what about the leg kicks? Without them, the fight would have been very different in your opinion. Yes, I agree. Leg kicks were great. Inside, outside, constantly battering him with it. Um, yeah, that, that part to me was like a no-brainer. Like, you have the ability to do this, and you didn't do it last time. Bring those in. This is something where he just doesn't check them really. Sure, no doubt about it. It was great. Connor's fight strategy was perfect. And I wouldn't call it perfect. But it was very good. It was very good. There's a lot of it I liked, for sure. I'm guessing that person is a regular fan. With this total home run. I think UFC 202 was one of those important moments in UFC history that will help push the sport forward. You know, what was interesting about it. I saw a lot of really fun talk. Um, 202 was great, right? Because you had stoppages all along the way up until the main event. And the main event was one of those fights that you just didn't want to end. And it, you know, it only did because of time. Um, it went the distance. And like one of the key 
problems with mixed martial arts fights sometimes relative to really great boxing fights. Now, not MMA versus boxing, but let's take a really great boxing fight. You know, it has these 12 rounds and these moments in between, and it, it can go almost 40 minutes if it goes the distance. There's just a lot of narrative there. There's a lot of twists and turns. It has a plot. Um, and I think what you saw with this one was that it had a plot, finally. Finally, there was a plot to it. Like, it, it had the same thing. It had changes in momentum and a story to tell. And by the time it was done, it was character revealing. And um, it felt like you learned a lot about both guys, especially about Connor. I thought you, like, you learned a lot about it. Because there, there, there's more to learn, you know? There's just a lot we don't know, know actually. He's, you know, there's, I think these, these wrestle boxers are 155. I, I am not in any way declaring that they're going to beat him. But I am curious to say, curious to see, excuse me, how he looks against them. It's important, right? Like, those kinds of enduring challenges he hasn't faced yet. Um, not in the same way. Anyway, um, but I saw people talking about it like this is that seminal moment in time where I'll look back and say, you know, that was the that was the fight that got me to be fans. And I, and, I, and I really believe that. And let me just say something here very clearly about this, not to be a Debbie Downer about it. It's just the way things go, you know. MMA is super hot right now. It's on fire. It's on fire, man. Like you see boxing reporters – not covering that much boxing and talking about MMA and covering MMA now. I see that a lot. I see a lot of guys who've converted. Uh, and when boxing was, you know, when Mayweather and Pacquiao were at their peaks, I was trying to cover those fights too, you know. Um, which isn't to say there aren't big fights in boxing. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm simply saying right, right now mixed martial arts is really, really hot. And it's hot because of a lot of reasons, not not least of which, of course, is the, the, the presence and the kind of thing that Conor McGregor brings to the game. It's great. Um, this is not going to last. This is not going to last. I'm not here to tell you that this is all going to go away and it's going to be barren wasteland when he's gone. I'm simply telling you that this is a sport that peaks and um, bottoms out too. There, there is a upper bound limit and there is a trough and uh, it goes back and forth between them and, you know, in, enjoy this while it lasts because this is going to be this, this thing that builds a fan base over time. But when he goes away, some of these casual fans are going to go with him. And Rousey, too. It's just inevitable. It's inevitable. So I guess what I'm telling you is if you're, you know, it's a great time to be a fan and try to enjoy it as much as you can. Not that it's going to be terrible when he's gone, but it's not going to be like this. It's not. It, this is a very, this window is 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 limited. So enjoy that while you can. John Jones, Luke, with this being saying that Jones failed because of a generic Cialis and that he might not be out that long, is Dana White kind of confirming that by taking by talking about a Jones versus Rumble fight as a title eliminator? Seems that Jones might be back real soon. Do you have any information on this? I have no more than you have, but I've certainly heard the same thing. I didn't hear it was a Cialis in particular knockoff, but I did hear that it was, of course, some kind of you know sexual dysfunction pill or whatever. Someone says, why can't it last? It's all about promoting the fighters and the sport the right way because it never does. It never does. This is a sport over and over and over and over again through its history, going back to Valle Tudo and more. Boxing is the same way. When there are big stars around, it's big. And when those stars go away, there is a moment in time where it goes down. It, th I, we are not exempt from that cycle. This is a cycle that has repeated. There is enormous amounts of evidence about this. So when McGregor is gone and Rousey is gone and, you know, whoever who knows how we'll go, it's not like it's going to be bad or there won't be big fights, but it won't be like this. This, the, the, the sands and the hourglass are pouring. So just enjoy it while you can. 
Now, back to Jones. Is Daniel injured or something? It doesn't make sense that they would have they would wait to have him fight. I don't know. I don't think uh, Jones or I don't think Daniel's injured. Um, I, I, this Jones thing, I, I'm a little bit reluctant to get out in front of it uh, and say, "Oh, he'll be back soon." Did you guys see what they did with um, this Chinese gentleman? I believe. Let me pull his name up I, I don't want to get it wrong here on it is um Li Jiang Lang so USADA was like hey no problem for the clenbuterol test we can sort of definitively conclude or at least you know with a reasonable degree of scientific certainty we can conclude this came from a process that did not include actual doping that it may have been from from substances that he ingested and then the Nevada Athletic Commission comes out and says, nah, no, not, not, not true. So here's the article. Um, USADA will, will not be provisionally suspending him because it is still investigating the cause of the positive test. In Jianglang's native China, meat is commonly contaminated with clenbuterol per a, uh, a WADA warning issued in 2011. Remember, a, um, a Houston Texan linebacker or a defensive lineman got hit with one of these as well, as, as well as a number of Mexican athletes. You saw it also inform the UFC that it initiated an investigation to the source of the prohibited substance detected in Jiang Lang's prior sample prior to notifying him of a potential violation. Because of this investigation, USADA has not issued a provisional suspension against him at this time. Um, here we go. Sada found no fault in the clenbuterol test failure by another Chinese fighter, Ning Guanzhou, earlier this month. Sada found the investigation of Guanzhou's dietary habits were about in lab reports that his clenbuterol, clenbuterol ingestion was likely due to contaminated meat, uh, low parts per billion. Um, in any case, the NAC, NAC isn't following this at all. And I guess my point is, without getting to this, the larger details about it, um, And I mentioned this before, USADA at a minimum is scientifically literate. I mean, they, they have some questionable ideas all the way around, but there's a general literacy, I think, about um, about doping and how it works anyway. Nevada just doesn't, <laughs> they just don't care. Like, they just march to the, the march to the beat of their own drum, and they don't listen. And I think that even if USADA comes out and says, uh, we have reasonable suspicion um, around this matter to conclude that, this is either innocuous or accidental or some combination of the two. Uh, Nevada might come out and say, yeah, you know what, though? But F you. Just F you. Um, which I think has been the intellectual basis of a number of their decisions. Nothing uh, more, nothing less, quite frankly. Um, they might just decide to be heavy-handed and punitive to send a message. They might decide it because they remain unconvinced by USADA. They might do it because... They don't want to be seen as following USADA in lockstep. They don't want to be seen as they want to be seen as the final arbiter of these matters. And um, I think that they're going to have a say one way or the other. So to me, I'm not declaring that NAC is going to do something, but until they don't, I am going to remain cautiously not optimistic. I'm going to remain cautiously pessimistic. Let's see here. 
All right, clinch work, Diaz versus McGregor. What did you make of the clinch work in UFC 202's main event? In between rounds, Kavanaugh kept telling Conor, you are dominating him in the clinch. Yeah, he wasn't. Well, I thought that was slightly exaggerated. Slightly? It did seem like Nate had a lot more success when Conor was in front of him with his back against the cage than he did in the clinch that followed. Yeah, I mean, I think I have to go back and watch the fight another time. I'm still sort of reviewing the material, but a couple of things. I mean, he was really good about risk control inside that space. He was good about not giving up too many underhooks. He would give up one, but n not too often two. Um, good about hand and elbow control, getting it across the body, getting to the side of it. Yeah, there's a lot of just really like decent hand and elbow and wrist control, hand fighting, wrist control, and, and elbow control that he was able to maintain. Um, but he was still getting leaned on. He was still getting pressured. He was still taking body shots and short uppercuts. I thought his, some of, I thought some of his defensive work inside was really nice, actually. There, he but but you know he was getting chewed up in there a little bit. Not as bad as last time, and not as bad every single time and every single round. Like each one looked a little bit different. But um, I think he did enough to not make it a huge liability. But he certainly did not win in those positions, and uh, that was always going to be an advantageous place for Nate. Right, because even if you're doing a good job, like let's say I land no punches, right? You're controlling my wrist and elbow enough to not let me really sneak one through and blast you. Which first of all he did, but okay, let's say that I didn't, and I'm going against a smaller guy. That smaller guy, even though <clears throat> I'm not getting my best punch through, you are still engaging me on on term beneficial to me, right? I'm leaning on you. I'm I'm probably going to be you know he's probably going to be like just the weight wise strong or stronger. He's going to feel all of that. Just the virtue of trying to wrist control me and elbow control me and dick for underhooks. This this is always going to be bad for you. Now, terrible for you? No. Um, you can be still defensively sound in that space. But just with your back against the fence, you don't want to be there at all. Um, you don't want to initiate that, especially against a taller guy in the clinch, because he can lean down and still be above you. Um, and it's going to be harder to hit him. Whereas if you're lower in the clinch, there's just a lot you can do in short, tight range. You know, you don't have to have a lot of mobility uh, or, or um, you don't need extra space. You can use everything in really tight, compact areas, and you can sneak stuff through. So just the fact that he was wrestling with him is not good for him. Um, so, I, you know, it's not slightly exaggerated that he is dominating the clinch. He was losing in the clinch every time virtually, but uh, not enough that it uh, ultimately made him lose, enough that it made a big, big difference. Like if Nate didn't have that, I don't know exactly how the fight would have looked. For him. All right. Round two. I don't see how a late but just 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 to close the show on this clinch thing. I don't know how big you are. Let's say you're 200 pounds. Go wrestle with a guy who's 170 or 180. And let's say you're relatively even in wrestling. The person who's 180 is just going to be tired like if, 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 if they're wrestling in a way where one person is pushing the other one up against the wall and using that natural weight, you're you're wrestling on uneven terms. You're not competing on even terms. Now, McGregor asked for that in a way, but you get the idea. Like, Even if you don't give up a takedown or you don't take too much of a punch, you're going to be exerting a lot more energy than he is. Okay, uh, round two. I don't see how a late flurry from Nate in round two can give him the round over a dominant round three and a half minutes from McGregor, which included two knockdowns. Nate didn't get Connor near the ground. Completely agree. Someone says it didn't. It was clearly a 10-9 round for McGregor. Haters are looking for any reason to make Nate the winner of the fight he lost. 
don't know if they're haters. They could be observers trying to wrestle with difficult scoring criteria. But to your point, I, I would agree. I, Nate certainly had the momentum at the end of that round and carried it through into the third. All the credit in the world to him, but I just didn't see enough to give him round two. It just wasn't there. What kind of relationship does the NSAC have with USADA? You'd have to ask them, but to me, it seems a little bit tense. All right, here's one. CBD oil. Uh, Luke, recently I've seen posts about Nate vaping CBD oil. People are calling it cannabis, but it's really just hemp oil. Not necessarily. It can be either hemp oil or cannabis oil. In fact, the hemp oil is trash. The uh, cannabis oil is better, but we'll get to that in just a second. Hemp is a cousin to cannabis and has an extremely low potency. For example, there is some data demonstrating that a daily doses of 0.5 milligrams of THC from three to five servings of most commercial CBD-rich hemp oil products, the positive urine screen is less than 0.2%. Again, most servings of typical high-quality, high-purity CBD-based Hemp oil products contain well below 0.1 milligrams of THC and therefore have over four to 600 times less THC than marijuana products. They don't get you high. It has no real psychoactive potential. So it does not get you high. And since it has such low potency, the risk of popping is low unless you have been using CBD oil like crazy. Plus, people tend to use it um, for um, uh, medical uses only. Let's talk about this real quickly. This is to me... You guys can downvote this all you want, and you can get mad at me for all of my views on anti-doping. There is a portion to the way in which we carry out anti-doping now that is that is pure, incontestable zealotry, and you are looking at it right here. Um, if you want to make an argument that Nate knew the rules or should have known the rules, that's fine. We can have that argument separately. But let's just talk about the that's that's that to me is an irrelevant question about whether these rules make sense, which I keep coming back to with marijuana, and it is this unrelenting problem. CBD oil, even if it comes from cannabis, uh, uh, doesn't carry psychoactive um, properties, at least not in any kind of real way. Um, it's not designed to. Uh, get you high. It has medicinal purposes, not least of which, especially in, in in the immediate context, if you take it right away or something, right? Um, it can be anti-inflammatory. It can help with seizures. It can help with anxiety. It can do all kinds of things, not any kind of sort of deeply pharmaceutical way, but there is at least some kind of medicine. There is, there is enough research done, even by big pharma, to substantiate a number of these claims, but it does not have psychoactive properties. He wasn't up there if that's in fact what he was using and getting high. Now, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was actually smoking something with THC in it. I don't know. Even then, the debate to me wouldn't change. But let's say, in fact, it was CBD oil where it doesn't have these psychoactive properties, okay? And he's up there vaping after taking 25 minutes of abuse. I am to believe that you have a humane and rational policy that that sort of thing would be by the book against the rules, but him showing up with a bottle of Jack Daniels and chugging it like Blutarski from Road, uh, from um, like Blutarski from, um, oh God, now it's uh, from Blutarski from Animal House. That would be better. That would be by the book. That would be by the rules. This is to me madness. This is total madness, and I'm sorry it is. It's completely scientifically, absolutely, and frankly, ethically uh, absurd to do something like that, where you have something like alcohol, a known carcinogen, essentially, uh, terrible for your health, but can mask certain um, abilities of users to you know, experience pain. They'd have said nothing to him. Um, but... 
he gets up there and vapes something that can help alleviate in, in a medical context what I'm sure was the fairly understandable discomfort of having McGregor's knuckles wrapped around his chin a few times. Oh, excuse me, a few dozen times. And we had the temerity to say that this is something that he should be punished for. How grotesque. How grotesque it is for someone to even suggest that Nate Diaz should be in trouble for that. Sickening is what it is. Absolutely any kind of punishment he receives for that, if it was CBD oil, is absurd. It is absurd. And I don't care. This idea that because it is still the Schedule 1 classification by the DEA is a total joke that they did it recently in the face of enormous medical evidence is you can draw your own conclusions about it. But this idea that USADA then has to follow that and use that and list its classification as some kind of basis by which to exact punishment and by which to measure fighter abuse is so ridiculous. Please spare me. You guys all wanted to make sure that the USADA era was about catching the cheaters. Yeah, it's about creatine users and guys with vape pens. That's where the majority of their busts come from. What a joke. So don't, don't, it is unconscionable that Nate Diaz would try to relieve some of the fairly significant pain symptoms he was feeling uh, by vaping CBD oil. And this might be a, a potential road by which he gets some kind of punishment in his career. It makes me sick. It makes me absolutely sick. Now, maybe USADA in the end won't do anything great. That they even looked into it makes me sick. And if they if they have the nerve to punish him for that, that just tells you everything about this. It is that they adopt there are some things that they do, I'm sure we will all agree on, but there is a key portion of what they do that is just zealotry. It's just zealotry. And if you think it extends only to marijuana, it is not me who is confused about this. UFC 204 start time, too much to ask for UK fans. I have to ask UK fans. Here's the question. Hey, Luke, I would like to know what your thoughts are on the UFC 204 main card in England starting at 3 a.m. local time. When the card was officially announced, there were a lot of comments on Facebook from fans who would like to go but cannot, would not, due to the impracticality of the start time, e.g. public transport not being available at these early hours. Is this a mistake by the UFC by having the card at this time, or is the UFC brand just being strong enough to sell out the card no matter what? Also, how do you think it will affect the fighters competing at this time? I've heard these similar concerns when they went to that show in Sweden. Um, and I want to say they had a late show once in Montreal, but I can't be too sure about it. Um, okay. Um, trying to pull this up here. I don't have the information. Um, I don't know. My guess is when they went to do this, they had some market research that would tell them that this was a, either a good or a bad idea. And I guess they had reason to believe that it would be a good idea. Um, but you know, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's certainly risky. We're going to see, I think in the end it'll be reasonably full. I don't know if it'll sell out, you know? Um, 
I do feel bad for UK fans, man. I really, really do. I really do. Uh, they have it tough. They have to stay up late all the time. And, of course, the you know Republic of Ireland fans as well. Um, they have to stay up late all the time. And they finally get a pay-per-view in their hometown. Or they're, they're, they're neck of the woods anyway, right? And it's it's designed for uh it's designed for um americans you know it, this is really the function of pay-per-view if pay-per-view were a relatively insignificant portion of the ufc's income they wouldn't have to lean on it in this way but because it because it is still a very big way in which they make money surprisingly right there's a long time where we thought about the depth of pay-per-view being relatively imminent it turns out it's not really true at all um and as a consequence of its enduring value to them as a revenue generator everyone else kind of pays the consequence right because if it wasn't that issue if they didn't have to adjust time zones with these bigger cards for pay-per-view audiences if they could just put it on and they would get money from these television rights holders at the beginning of these contracts no matter what they could take a, a fight anywhere they wanted and they could put it on whenever they wanted it wouldn't it wouldn't matter at all um you know it'd be it'd be just fine but pay-per-view gets them man pay-per-view gets them Here it goes. Someone says, of course, Luke ignores the fact it's simply against the rules and he shouldn't be doing it. Six hours after the fight, only six hours, Diaz going to Diaz. And he focuses on the fact that it shouldn't be a rule. Right, because I look at a world where if we have rules, I like to ask rationally, what is the basis by which this rule exists? And if you want to live in a world where people just tell you to do things and you do them because they're in positions of authority or um, you don't really ask questions about why things exist. That's your life to live. Look to live. I like to live in a world where we're like, okay, this is a rule. Well, why? And if it doesn't make sense, what should we do about it? And if we're going to be punishing people for infractions of these rules, shouldn't that punishment um, be consistent with other kinds of infractions like this? And really, what is the infraction that we're talking about here? The alleviant, the alleviant of pain. I mean, if he had to get surgery for something and he was given painkillers. Uh, or if he was given painkillers generally for some kind of issue, let's say he had to get stitches and he got a retroactive TUE, so we can pump this guy full of chemicals, but he can't on his own use a vape pen. These are just deeply inconsistent ways in which we apply anti-doping um, through the course of uh, different human conditions. And that, to me, if you don't, if you don't want to ask rational questions about that, and you don't want to live in a world where we sort of understand why rules exist and what their significance is and how they cohere with other rules around them, I don't know what to tell you. Um, unexamined life is not worth living, I guess. Someone says, I seriously feel bad for the UK fans. I couldn't picture a more annoying start time for a UFC than 3 a.m. I know, man. I wouldn't go if it was me. I'm not telling you not to go. I'm just saying if they came to D.C. and it started at 3 a.m., I would just be like, I pass. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not doing it. I think I wrote somewhere on Facebook, like, if I had phony murder charges up against me and I could only answer for them between 3 and 5 a.m., I just wouldn't. Okay. Good question. The instructional nature of a rematch. Luke, you've often discussed how in fight trilogies, the man who won the rematch is often the man who wins the third fight. It's true, I have. I am wondering if you believe this would hold true for Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. Um, Probably. First time I picked McGregor, wrong. Second time I picked Diaz, wrong. So who knows when we the third time. We learned a great deal more about Conor in a five-round fight. Heart, takedown defense, adherence to a game plan. Still less than ideal cardio. Could be related to weight, but I agree. And Nate Diaz is who we thought he was. Tough as nails, great boxer, cardio for days. Although he faded a little bit too. Uh, 
What did you learn from these two in this fight, and how does that inform who you'd pick in their third and inevitable rubber match? And is your answer dependent upon whether the fight is contested at 155 or 170? I don't think that would matter too, too much for me. Um, I'd probably pick McGregor if it was at 155, uh, just because I think now that he did it once, like went the full 25, not only does he have the experience of fighting Diaz, right? He had the experience of fighting Diaz the first time. Now he's got the experience of fighting Diaz for a full 25 and how he has to, all the things he has to do to move away. Diaz is not going to be able to grow that much between fights. I still think Connor can. Everyone says, uh, in response to that other person's comment, I think the nature of who the fighters are matters as well. Connor lost. He changed his camp and his approach to the game, went smarter, stuck to the game plan. Nate, his main evolution through his career has been checking leg kicks along with incremental improvement in boxing. Agreed on both counts. As much as people talk about Nate's boxing, Connor's technical general skill standing is much better. Agreed. While Connor can potentially improve his gas tank management and the size of his gas tank by training or simply fighting 155, maybe, maybe. I doubt Nate can improve his technical skills and athleticism in a year to bridge the gap they have. Probably true. Obviously, fighter grit will always be Nate's advantage, but a chin deteriorates with time, and so I would favor Connor in a rubber match. I would generally agree with that analysis. I think these get people saying, well, is it cardio 155 will be amazing. It might be. I am not telling you it's not going to be. I'm going to be a little bit observant to see what it looks like. Maybe this is a guy who, um, even with his best cardio at 155, will still just not necessarily have awesome cardio in rounds four and five. Maybe he will be, but it's worth paying attention to. Lorenz Larkin, what a turnaround for Larkin, losing three straight in the UFC, goes to welterweight and has won four of his last five, even though he's a free agent now. I believe the UFC will sign him back. So if he does come back, who would you like to see be a good opponent for Larkin? Ooh, uh, Matt Brown. What about Larkin versus Matt Brown? What about Larkin versus... Um, let's see who they got at welterweight. Because he really wants a ranked opponent. He even told me that. I had him on the show on Monday as well. Uh, let's see. He would like, I like the Matt Brown one only because of the different, I mean, that'd be a tough fight for Brown, but well, tough fight for both guys, really. Um, Tumanoff, you already lost to. You got Ellenberger, Cerrone up there. Cerrone would be a sick fight, wouldn't it? Cerrone versus Lorenz Larkin. Wouldn't love that. Tarek Safadin, Matt Brown, Gunnar Nelson, Don Kong Kim, Rick Story. Any of those, man. Any of those. He already beat Mil Nag Mil uh, Neil Magny. Neil Magny is ranked sixth, and above him is Gastelum, Condit, Maya, and Thompson. I don't know when these rankings are updated, but I'm not sure why Lorenz isn't on them. <laughs> he's, he's literally not on the list. I don't know. I don't, can't ask questions about these rankings anymore. All right. Condit, Maya. I didn't see this fight going down. You've often praised Condit's active guard, but will it be tough to get back to his feet? I reckon he will need to because of Condit's tendency to get out of position after kicks, punching combinations. I suspect they will hit the ground more than once. Yeah, people are really excited about this fight, and I guess that I am too. Um, but I wonder if it might be anticlimactic, right? This You guys know what this is going to come down to. There is no way Demian Maia is going to kickbox on him. Not going to happen. He's going to try to take him down, and he's going to try and get to mount or his back. That's what he's going. That's what he's going to try to do, and probably to the back end where he can work from there. Um, the question is, can Carlos Condit stop him? I don't think Carlos Condit can stop the takedown if he tries to wrestle with him. I think he will lose, and I think if he tries to grapple with him on the ground, unless he can find a way to get back up pretty easily, 
he's going to have a hard time. You know, Matt Brown, I think, is a better defensive wrestler than Carlos Condit, and you saw what happened there. So it's it's a tough fight for him. Is he going to be able to catch him coming in? Maybe. Maybe he can pump the jab and stay out of the way? Maybe. Um, but the, it's a tough fight for Carlos Condit. It's a very, very tough fight. But it's a big reward. You know, you beat Demi and Maya, man, you're right back at the top. Carlos Condit would be right there knocking on the door of a title shot. Not guaranteeing one, but, you know, right in that space. Um, in the mix, as it were, if he wins. So it's a tough fight for him. He can beat anyone in that division on his best day, but I think he's going to need to have his best day to do it. Just Demi and Maya is so smothering. But you guys know how the sport is. Crazy stuff happens all the time. It makes no sense. So um, maybe expect that. All right, let's do some true-false. UFC 202 probably sold around 1.6 to 1.9 million pay-per-view buys. Our own Dave Meltzer says it's too early to tell. I know uh, what you call it. Darren Ravel is reporting it's the third biggest. I'm not sure how he knows that yet, but you get the idea. McGregor is more likely to fight Alvarez for the lightweight title than to defend his featherweight title against Aldo. I think so. I think so. Diaz versus McGregor 2 is a better fight of the year candidate than Lawler versus Condit. Ooh. Probably not, but I can see opinions varying on that one. Anthony Rumble Johnson has the most pound-for-pound power than any other fighter in their respective division. No, John Lineker. Um, but Rumble, I mean, Jesus. Just dislodging teeth. Not dislodging them, punting them into outer space. Cowboy will challenge for the welterweight title if he continues to fight at 170. Dana White seemed non-committal about it, but the way he looks, man, I don't think that's so crazy. Cody Garbrandt should fight a couple more ranked contenders before fighting someone like Dominic Cruz. I think a lot of people feel that way, right? I think a lot of people feel like Garbrandt's on the come up, no doubt about it. He's looking amazing. Starches Mizugaki after just blasting through Almeida, but to the point I raised earlier, someone eventually is going to put it on him. How does he look like in those circumstances? Can he really gut through it? He's not going to be able to knock out everyone. Eventually, someone will not get knocked out. What happens then? I can understand if that's your argument. I would not challenge it. I really wouldn't. If you're asking me, however, if I would be upset if they made Garbrandt versus Cruz, I wouldn't be. There's, It just feels very compelling to me, and I would also grant you quickly that Cruz is the far better technician of the two. But for Cruz to not have a problem, he can't take any clean shots over the course of 25 minutes, probably, maybe. It's a, to, I don't know. It's a compelling matchup to me. It's a compelling matchup to me because it requires really disciplined, excellent movement from Cruz. It requires that he stay away. It requires that he use all of his abilities to challenge for takedowns and everything else. And it doesn't ask necessarily the same of Garbrandt, but it could expose Garbrandt's weaknesses in interesting ways. Or Garbrandt's power could just sort of, like rather than trying to play Cruz at his duck and dodge game, you just barrel over him with raw power. That seems to me like a very interesting idea as well. So um, I wouldn't argue that he needs to for meritocracy's sake, but I guess I just wouldn't be terribly upset uh, if they made it. Lorenz Larkin has the hardest leg kicks at welterweight. Cerrone's got some hard ones too, but maybe. Maya will control the first few rounds, but will be finished by Condit after he gasses in the championship rounds. Maybe. That's, I, think that's, I think that's reasonable. If Carlos Condit can hang on, Carlos Condit's always had good cardio, you know? Um, Anthony Pettis will return to championship form by knocking out Charles Oliveira on Saturday. Championship form? I don't know, but I do expect him to look relatively good. 
It is amazing to watch Kyle Stutter become the youngest American wrestler to win a gold medal. This dude is an Olympic champion, a world champion, and a NCAA Division I champion at a weight class above where he normally competes, and he can't even legally buy a beer. I mean, if you've never felt like a loser, now's your chance. <laughs> now is your chance. All right, it's 2.15. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. You can get at me at SBN Lou Thomas. You can use the hashtag chat rappers um, to do that. By the way, did LP Bay's dad die? I think so. Haricho. Valderrama. All right. Will Connor ever face someone with a better chin than Nate at 145, 155? Maybe not, but maybe he won't face someone who takes as many punches either. You know, someone says much respect on your views on cannabis. CBD definitely helps out a lot. And for you, so to most likely find him is ridiculous. I don't know what they're going to do. They better do nothing. <clears throat> most would agree Ronda Rousey needed a break. But at what point does the length of that break become damaging? I mean, she only lost. What was you? I don't think the break's been that long. I just confirmed that. I think what was it? March. Let's see November Jesus my timeline is off she lost in November yeah so we're coming up on a year a year off is not the end of the world I know we're making a lot out of it I don't think it's great but I don't think it's the end of the world someone says you can say all you want about CM Punk but at least he's got more balls than you you didn't have the guts to fight MMA. You just talk. That's correct. I definitely don't think it's a good idea uh, to go compete in MMA personally. But I'm not mad at his MMA journey. I wouldn't be saying a word if he was going to Bellator or a regional show or some other way working his way up. This may be difficult for some to accept. I don't understand. But um, there's a common standard of excellence where the best should fight in the best organization. He has no fights whatsoever. He has no real claim to be there. Uh, the idea that he sells tickets to me is absolutely not an argument at all. It is utterly immaterial. So like as a martial artist, you have to respect what he's doing. As a guy who is using his celebrity to get to the front of the line, I do not. And he is doing both. What you got against May, Luke? What did May ever do to you? I don't know what that means. I must have gotten some date wrong. Uh, Luke, I always felt that you were especially hard on McGregor after his El Chapo shtick. Is there any truth to that? I don't know. It's your opinion. Maya defeats Condit. What are his options? Do you know if Showtime Pettis is staying at Jackson's? If Maya defeats Condit, he might get a title shot uh, behind Wonder Boy or something like that, right? Do you know if Showtime Pettis is staying at Jackson's? I know he's doing part of his camp there. Someone says, if round three was a 10-8, talking about McGregor versus Diaz, then round one was definitely a 10-8. McGregor landed in round three a lot, actually. Rewatch without sound. It's a fair point. I wouldn't argue. To learn anything new about McGregor during his contest with Diaz, I think he has a tremendous amount. I mean, I said it before. I think that round four by McGregor, you can... Pick all the knockouts you want. You can do whatever else you want. Those are all great, of course. 
at around four for McGregor, that gut check time, man, impressive, super impressive, the ability to do that. And with everyone who, you know, he's a big popular celebrity with a lot of money, but he certainly has been the subject of derision, especially since that last loss. Oh, McGregor has terrible jujitsu, blah, blah, blah. And he came back out there with after after taking a beating in round three and and just proved he was the better fighter that night. He really did. And very athletic courage is what he's got, man. Truly. Truly. What about Rory moving to Bellator? Any possible matchup for his debut? Don't know. Um, let's see. Netflix and UFC. On Unfiltered, Dana hinted that there is a big Netflix announcement. Any inside info? Could be related to the... Um, I suspect. What are the chances that Rory becomes champion in a couple of divisions in Bellator? Not bad. <laughs> you look at the roster, I don't think it's all that crazy. Uh, let's see. I get these questions all the time because apparently like standing up for athletes rights is some sort of indication that I myself am using performance enhancing drugs, which I find hilarious. So someone goes, how would you saw How many you saw tests do you think you could pass before inevitably pissing hot? I believe me would not be opposed to taking any kind of hormone or steroid. I certainly haven't done it yet. Mostly because I just don't want to put those kinds of chemicals in my body for while being a journalist, I have no real reason to. Um, but I often find it, I mean, I guess I should take it as a compliment in some ways. Um, but believe me, your boy's on the old creatine diet. Not much more. I wish. If you've got some good steroids, send them my way. Conor McGregor's still getting heat about the ground game, not getting taken down and not jumping into open guard is good, right? Definitely. Don't understand those criticisms about him at all. Um I thought not getting into his guard was smart, super smart, and they played it real correctly. I was very, 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 very impressed by it. So it says Conor McGregor's round four equals Bisping's round four after he was essentially knocked out by Anderson at the end of the third. Pretty similar. Pretty similar. Getting back out there and sticking to the game plan. Maybe there's something about that round four that guys get mentally charged up for. I don't know. Um, but I would agree that, like, Obviously not identical, but there are some real similarities there. These guys got up and said, no, this is not going to go this way. It's not going to go this way. And to mentally be back in there uh, when you're at the brink of defeat is enormously commendable. Really commendable stuff. Um, GSP sends Sarah. Jones sends Gus. Will McGregor sense Diaz one turn into still dominant but safer fighter? I don't think so. I think he's still basically a guy who has big power and will elect to use it. Leading up to UFC 202, were McGregor's fight IQ and game planning skills underrated? Um, no, not really. Um, they might be more of properly, properly evaluated now, but I don't think he was underrated before no it's not like his like 
you can have a ton of ability and not necessarily have an above average fight IQ. And I think we can all agree that his fight IQ in that Diaz fight was incredibly bad. Um, this one was much significantly better, but it wasn't like everyone's like, it was amazing. It was really good. It was really good. It wasn't amazing. Do you think Rogan is told by Dana on what he can and can't talk about on his podcast? No, I don't think so. Uh, please rank the following in terms of their punching power. All right. Rumble, Mark Hunt, Shane Carwin. Oof. Well, until you see Rumble at heavyweight, I don't know, you know. Hunt versus Carwin. That's an interesting one, man. Do you remember that knockout Carwin had on Christian Wellish? <laughs> Where like the, the mouthpiece went flying and he sort of spun on an axis. So maybe Hunt, then Carwin, then Rumble. But I could see people going Carwin, Hunt, Rumble. I don't know. It's a tough one. Do you think Rumble has increased his chances of beating Jones between when they were originally scheduled to fight to now? He's probably gotten better to some extent along the way. But the interesting part is like, what did you really learn about uh, rumble in Saturday's fight. Nothing a whole lot new. Now, that's not a knock on him. He asked, would you like to win 13 seconds versus 13 minutes? He's going to pick 13 seconds, understandably. He looked amazing, but it's not like we saw his cardio push to the limit. He answered it and showed it was better. Like, we just don't know. So maybe that stuff's better um, for his sake, I hope, because it would make for a great fight, but it's just an unknown. It's not a yes, it's not a no, it's an unknown. You got to be able to live with some unknowns in this game, you know? That's why the fights are, are 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 the best things that can happen because they're the only things that really tell us the truth. Oh, his camp says one thing. They're right half the time, wrong the other time. And when they're right, they're gloat. And when they're wrong, they say, well, maybe next time. And then these interviews, guys say one thing, and maybe it's true, maybe it's not. It's the same thing. And people like me and everyone else tries to get predict this fight and predict that fight. We don't know what's going to happen. None of these guys know what's going to happen. Some a little bit better than others, but not really. You just don't know. The fight is the only real measure of truth for the most part. It's the only real thing that is reflecting to you what's actually happening in the real world. And so when it's a 13-second fight, I mean, that's amazing. It's amazing, but it doesn't necessarily tell you – it doesn't tell you the truth about what happened necessarily. Um, okay. Do you think the cardio improvements from McGregor were significant or was it more just a case of managing his energy wisely? It's definitely a case of managing his energy wisely, but we still need to see him at 155 because that's a better reflection of what his cardio is going to look like. I think we can all agree his cardio was much better this time. It was not amazing this time. He did not have Frankie Edgar cardio, but is that a function of fighting at this heavier weight? Maybe it's just too much of a liability for him. Maybe if he goes down to 155, he'll look great. I think that is a very real possibility. Let's see what it looks like, right? Larkin versus Masvidal. I think that'd be a great scrap. It already happened. Um, how did UFC 202 traffic compare to 200 and 196? I did not compare them in any kind of detailed way, but I can tell you that there was a significant amount of interest in UFC 202. Extremely high. Uh did McGregor truly avenge his loss to Diaz? Yes, of course he did. Does making someone tap versus barely winning a decision the same thing? Well, they're not the same thing, but they don't need to be the same thing to avenge a loss. Yeah, he avenged it. Yeah. How is that a question? 
What did you make of Joe Rogan's commentary for the main event? So that's a funny question. I saw a lot of people getting really upset at his commentary uh, after the fact. Um, what is this? Oh, no. Oh, God. Apparently, John Wall and Bradley Beal don't like each other. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a long season at the Verizon Center, baby. Jeez, Louise. All right. Um, people were upset with Joe Rogan's commentary. I, all the times I've gone back and watched it, I've gone back and watched it on mute. So I don't know. In real time... I don't remember it being all that bad, but I guess I wasn't paying close attention. Here's what I can say. I've seen enough complaints to go back and listen to it to see what it sounds like, but um, I didn't pay close enough attention to what he was like saying on Fight Night, and since then everything has been on mute. So uh, hard for me to answer that one. I, I generally don't have a problem with his commentary. In fact, I, I usually quite like it. But, you know, look, if you're asking can Joe Rogan uh, either wittingly or unwittingly demonstrate some level of bias about what he's looking at yeah of course it's he's a human being like some of that you want some of that's maybe a little bit too much but it's all inevitable like he's going to you know he's going to say things um that it won't be down the middle you're not asking for down the middle you're asking for joe rogan to call it as he sees it that's by definition not down the middle Okay, Let's see if there's any more of these and we'll go back. If Mac fights, if McGregor fights for lightweight title and wins, will that be the perfect scenario for the trilogy? I don't know if they want to give Nate Diaz a title fight like that, but I think that would be kind of cool. <laughs> right? I mean, it'd be kind of awesome, I suppose. Um, all right, let's go back to this with a few minutes we have. Maybe one more. Someone's asking about scar tissue. I just don't know enough about scar tissue. Someone's asking about Mike Perry and his... Mike Perry is... He's a piece of work, isn't he? Uh, more about round two. Someone says, if you had been with your boys, Ariel, Sean, and Mark, during the craziness that was the UFC 202 pre-fight show, would you have been able to keep your cool and not take someone down and submit them? Yeah, I don't like strangers touching me. I would have would have had to knuckle up some of those fools. Don't. If we see you in person, I'll shake your hand. That's fine. Don't touch my back. Right. Don't touch me. It's just sort of my rule. Uh, someone's asking if you call a male a donk. Does that mean a female is a donkette? No, it is gender neutral. Last one. Uh, S is going to hit the fan. What do you make of McGregor's comments that S is going to hit the fan and his next fight might not even be in this sport? John Cavanaugh mentioned Mayweather on the MMA Hour and pretty much shot down the notion of him doing a stint in the WWE. So what else is McGregor? Um referring to if not the Mayweather fight, do you consider this a real possibility yet? Maybe there's a Mir Khan they could maybe do, but I don't, I, again, the Mayweather stuff before was just kind of made up. There, it wasn't anything all that real. But now, if he really tries to legally pursue it in an open way, um, that could be kind of interesting. I think we should very much be ready for any kind of possibility with McGregor. Um, it's not that he's not a company guy. And doesn't want to do great business. I mean, he, when he talks about great business, when he talks about is like, I'm going to do things that are mutually beneficial for us, but I'm not going to do things that are mutually beneficial for us that you have total say so about. We're going to do some things where I have some say so. 
that is very distinct from people like Ronda Rousey, for example, who might get a couple of concessions one way or the other, but it seems much more to work with the company in, in their own way. McGregor seems to want to have his own say about it. And I, you know, for better, for worse, here goes nothing. We'll see. All right. I really appreciate you guys watching. Thank you so much. Um, Luke Thomas show right after this. I got Helen Maroulis, Olympic gold medalist, first American woman ever in studio here in Washington, D.C. So check that out, SiriusXM Rush 93. Um, please give it a thumbs up. Love, uh, Subscribe to the channel. And um, thanks to all the people who sent kind words after I got robbed. I'm okay. Home's okay. We got security system now. They didn't get that much. Neighbor down the street got robbed, and they took her safe that had her mother's ashes and family heirlooms in it. So I guess I just can't complain. All right. Thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Monday morning analysts coming a little bit later this week because of all that stuff that happened. And then they beat tomorrow. Until next time, stay frosty.